Well, good morning to everyone. Good, cold, freezing, Arctic, did I say bitter, cold morning to you? I have never preached in long underwear before, so this should be a first for all of us. See how this turns out. This will be real fun, and by fun, I mean it's the coldest week of my life. Crazy people live in the Arctic tundra. Um, thanks for being with us this morning. Thanks for braving the elements, braving the cold. We're glad that you're here. Uh, let me pray for us as we begin, and we'll dive into some, some warm thoughts. God, thank you for this place. Thank you for this day, for all who have gathered here today. Would you bless us each? Would you speak to each one of us now? Would you infuse us with your power, with your spirit? Would you change us, God, from the inside out? We seek a word from you. We speak to be renewed and revived by you. Would you do that now? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Excited about this morning and the next couple of weeks as we finish our Sacred Letter series. Got some cool things planned for the next couple of weeks. Hope you'll be able to join us even in and around Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, and also, I wanted to tell you about last week. Uh, thanks for your patience with us as we're kind of working through a couple different things. Last week, we offered communion kind of in a different way than we'd offered it before. And we had you come at different times throughout the service to the table. And, and some of you loved it and totally resonated with it, and others of you didn't. And uh, I just thank you for your patience as we're trying to find a way uh, to minister most effectively to our community. Right? That's the beauty of a community church is so many different backgrounds, so many different expressions and understandings of things. And we're trying to find a way at the church to, to make the table so inclusive as Jesus made his table. And you'd also find a way to make sure that we take the, the elements in a way that honors him, right? And that really remembers and reflects his death. And so thanks as we're kind of working through that. That's true of all things in this church. Thanks for, for letting us experiment and try some things. And uh, thank you for your feedback. <laughs> there, I said it, staff. Okay. Uh, over time, I find it fascinating how we can completely lose sight of why certain things were originally created. I'm not talking about things that are old-fashioned and out of date and that are totally weird. I'm talking about things that we see on a daily basis. The tabs on a soda can. You know why those were made? Yeah, to open the can, but also to hold your straw. How about those little juice boxes? Why do they have those weird triangle flaps on the side? Well, that's some, so the kids have something to hold as they move the box from one place to another. Instead of squeezing it and all the juice comes out and thus the wrath of their parents comes out as well. How about that random hole at the end of your pots and pans? That's to hold your spoon. That's why that was made. And the list goes on and on. It could be plastic to-go cup lids that actually double as coasters. That's why they have the little plastic poppers on there. Or even Chinese takeout boxes. They are plates, and lo and behold, they become takeout boxes. Everything was created for a particular purpose. From this plastic pulpit, to those comfy chairs, to that disco ball up there, that, John, we have to find a reason to use, okay, at some point in the near future. But everything in this room was designed by someone to do something. And the same is true for you and I. The same is true for us. You were not accidentally made. You were not haphazardly thrown together. You were made purposefully by someone to do something. But like Chinese takeout boxes or holes at the end of handles, we just lose sight of what that something is, don't we? We forget who that someone is. 
And so this morning, I just want us to wrestle with those two questions. Who is that someone that has made us, and why has that someone made us? What is the something he has made us for? I love how Pastor Rick Warren says it. Why in the world am I in this world? I want to wrestle with those questions this morning. And there's so many biblical texts that we could go to to answer these questions. But I want to go to the end of Jesus' ministry. Because I think at the very end, he gives insight into why on earth we are on the earth. Let me share with you a few of these passages. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples... I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given to you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is a passage known as the Great Commission, but this is a fascinating passage that actually answers both of the questions we just asked. Who is the someone that made us, and what is the something that someone has made us for? Jesus would say that someone is God. See, if you had a tag on you, like a shirt, it would say, made by God in heaven. Wash in warm water with different colors. Or if you had an instruction manual, it would be written by God himself. Jesus says, I have all authority on heaven and on earth, and I've been given that authority by God the Father. God made all of this. He is the someone behind everything and behind you. So there's our first answer. I have all authority, Jesus says. Therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? Because I made you. Because I wrote the instruction manual, because I put you here, because I'm your creator, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Go. Go. Make disciples of all nations. Go. Go. Get out of here. Get out of here and do for the rest of the world what I have done for you. Go and share what's happened over the last couple of years, more importantly over the last couple of days. Go, teach, preach, heal, lead, baptize. Bring the fullness of heaven into your family. Bring the fullness of heaven into your workplace. Bring the fullness of heaven into your school. Make me known amongst the whole world. He says it also in Acts, doesn't he? Acts says this, and you will now receive power. Why are we gonna need power? Because you got a mighty task you got to go out into all the world and be witnesses. Start here in Jerusalem, spread that out to Judea, grow cross-culturally, even to your enemies in Samaria, and take it all the way to the very ends of the earth. See, think about the, 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 the context of these passages. Jesus says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Well, how do we know that? How can we trust you, Jesus? Single greatest miracle of all time, the death of death. Jesus says these words after he has come out of the grave and he says, because this, guys, because I've walked out of the grave, I have superiority over sin, over shame, over fear, over Satan. I have superiority over all of those things. You can trust me. You can follow me. You can believe in me. And now I want you to go. Go get going. Get going. And he didn't just say at the end of his life. Look at what Jesus said throughout his life. Luke 10, the Lord chose 72 other disciples and he sent them out to all the towns and the places. These were his instructions. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more people out. 
John 20, 20, as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and at his side. They were filled with joy when they saw him. And again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am now sending you out. And you're going to need the Holy Spirit to do this thing. And then Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. According to Jesus, you were made by God for a mission. You were created by God to live out a calling. Made for mission, called to live out a calling. And it's simply this, that you would become a disciple of Jesus Christ and you would commit yourself to making other disciples of Jesus Christ. Your owner's manual is pretty short. Created for a calling, made for a mission, and there it is. Become a disciple who makes other disciples. Now, it'd be easy if this were a calling just for pastors or missionaries, right? Like, uh, we pay the staff to do that. This isn't something you can just pawn off on the, on the church staff. This is a calling for all Christians. All people, all parts of the body have been called to be disciples who actively make other disciples. See, Jesus didn't tell the world, hey, figure it out and start going to church. He told his church, hey, figure it out and start going out into the world. It's a very different mindset than a come and see. It's a go and tell. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes it, 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us a ministry now, a ministry of reconciliation, that God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, now not counting anyone's mistakes and failures and sins against them. He has now committed to us this message, the message of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. What God did through Christ, teaching the world about heaven, teaching the world about hell, and then everything in between, showing them who God is, teaching them about life and how to find it now and forever. What Jesus did, you now are called to do. You were made for a mission. You were created to live out a calling, to become a disciple who makes other disciples. You see, your faith in Christ isn't only or even primarily about you. It's about others developing a faith in Christ because of you. We think that once we come to know Jesus, the, the ball kind of stops here. Done. Check. I did what I needed to do. No, no, that's just the beginning. You were made for mission, created to live out a calling, to become a disciple who makes disciples. But why, right? The question becomes, okay, the someone is God, and now we kind of know the something, but why? That something. Of all somethings, why did you make us for mission? Why did you create us to live out this calling? Why are you so adamant, God, about us spending our lives telling others about eternal life? Why? What's up with that? Let me share with you three things. I think the first is God knows that in mission, you'll find passion. You'll find life. You will find meaning. There are two large bodies of water in the Middle East. The one is the Sea of Galilee, pictured here. Beautiful sea. I've never seen it firsthand, but it looks like a beautiful sea, doesn't it? Just lovely. There's lots of life, lots of fish, lots of growth, lots of beauty. Well, just a few miles down the road, there's another sea. It's called the Dead Sea, and nothing lives there. No life, no fish, no animals, no vegetation, nothing. They are so close to each other proximity-wise, and yet so diametrically opposed to each other. They're so radically different. What's, 
What's the deal? What's the difference? Well, the first, the one that's alive, the Sea of Galilee, takes water in, has an input, but it also has an outlet. It pours water out. There's a river that runs into it and a river that runs out of it. The water is flowing. It's moving. Can you guess why the Dead Sea is the Dead Sea? It only takes water in. It never pours it out. There's no river on the tail end of the Dead Sea, so the water goes into that area and it dies. It becomes stale. It becomes stagnant. I wonder if God didn't give us these two bodies of waters in of all regions, that area, to show us why we were created, what we were created for. Some of you are not experiencing life right now. You feel rather dead. You're just kind of going through the motions. You're apathetic. You know why? Because you're the Dead Sea. You are only taking in, in knowledge, in service, in me, in, in, in. You're only taking in. It's all about you. There is no outlet. You are not pouring yourself out. And if you continually do that over time, you are going to die. It's a me-centered worldview versus a mission-centered worldview. Struggling with depression, dejection, despair, dissatisfaction, it's probably because you're me-centered. When you become mission-centered, it's amazing how joy and passion and excitement start to fill your heart, start to fill your life. Now, I might be biased, given my career choice, but I think there's no greater joy in all the world than sharing Christ with somebody else. There is no greater joy than seeing someone come to know Christ. I mean, you think climbing a 14er is exciting. First of all, you're crazy if you think that. <laughs> but climbing that mountain is one thing. Seeing someone overcome a mountain of sin, a mountain of shame, that's something else entirely. See, you think having more people be your friend on Facebook is pretty cool, and it is. But seeing someone learn that God calls them friend is entirely different. You think a new job or new hobbies are pretty sweet, and they are, but being there with someone as they become a new creation, a new believer, there is nothing sweeter in all the world. It's a me-centered world or a mission-centered world. You were made for mission. And if life is off right now, if things aren't going so well for you, maybe it's because you've forgotten, oh, that hole was made for a spoon. <laughs> oh, that little tab was to hold my straw. Oh, this little life is about living out a calling. Look at how Paul says it in Acts 20. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned by Christ, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. If I were to measure your life, the significance, the entirety of your life on how well you are telling others the good news, what does that test score look like? How do those test results turn out for you? Our lives are all about telling others about his life. And when we lose our life, right, when we say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to spend my life telling everybody else about your life, and I'm going to spend my whole life helping others find life, when I give my life away, when I pour my life out, you promise I will actually find my life. But if I only focus on my life, if I sit here and demand that everything's about me and my life, I will actually lose it. I'll never find it. Oh, it's a wonderful, crazy paradox. So God made you for mission because it's in mission where you'll find your great passion, where you will find your life and your mission. 
your purpose. God also creates us for mission because he knows that it's in mission we will actually connect with others. You see, you and I have been created to have deep, meaningful, life-infusing relationships. God is a relational being. The Trinity is this beautiful dance between three people. Adam was not meant to live alone. It was not good that he was alone. And that's true for you, even more so. You were made to have relationships. And although Facebook friends and Twitter followers are nice, they are far from the depth or the type of intimacy we were truly created to experience. We were made for so much more than that. And I think God knows, hey, if you're struggling with intimacy, with friendships, with connecting with others, again, it's because you're a dead sea, you're me-centered. When you become mission-centered, it's amazing how close you'll start to get to other people. A close friend of mine out in Tennessee is a huge, huge Indianapolis Colts fan. And he tells the story of being at the AFC Championship game a few years ago when the Colts were playing the Antichrist, uh, the New England Patriots. <laughs> and I'm a pretty big Colts fan myself, and so him and I were talking about this, and then he told me this story. Right, the Colts were down big, if you remember that game. First half looked horrible, it's like, great, Brady's defeating Manning up just again. But then all of a sudden, the second half, there was this incredible comeback. All of a sudden, Joseph Adai ran it in at the very end, and then the last play of the game was a Tom Brady interception. That is the greatest way for a game to end. <laughs> it's like, yes. And as this happens, he's at the game in the stands in Indianapolis. My friend Dave just instinctively, he says, grabs the four-foot-nothing Asian guy standing next to him and just starts jumping up and down. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> The guy went from complete stranger to being in the middle of Dave's bosom. Yes! What happened? How in the world did you go from this to that? Mission, passion. They had the same goal. They were cheering for the same thing. They were working towards the same thing. And I think what's true in an odd kind of way about Dave's story is true for us. You will develop a great passion with people. You'll find people in your bosom, small Asian men. Sorry, the analogy doesn't carry over as well as I thought. But you will find a, a connection to people when you commit yourself to mission, especially those people who are also committed to mission. Because me-centered people are needy, aren't they? It's hard to be around them, and they kind of drain and suck your life away. But mission-centered people are fun to be around. Oh, they're challenging and they hold me to a higher standard, but they breathe life into me. And I think you will find great intimacy and connection with others when you have a mission-centered focus. This is especially true in marriage. Nathan and I were talking this last week about our marriages, and this is going to come as a complete shock to you, but our marriages were kind of off, and Nathan and I weren't being good husbands, and I know, calm down. But right, we weren't talking well, we weren't communicating well, and, and we weren't treating our wives with the respect that, that they deserved, and things were just off. And if you're not careful, an off day turns into an off week to an off month, an off year, an off marriage. And although I'm, I'm all for marriage books and date nights, I love those, don't get me wrong, you know how to break out of that funk? Mission-centered. If it's me-centered marriage, it's gonna fall apart. Nathan said that him and Carrie, even just one night, were kind of at each other. And then all of a sudden, somehow they started talking about the needs of one of their non-Christian neighbors. And all of a sudden, Kara couldn't keep her hands off of him. <laughs> like, I, I can't stand you. And then, ah, you know, what, what changed? It wasn't that extreme, but it was close. It was a me shift to a mission shift. They experienced a greater intimacy when they took their eyes off themselves and put it on others. 
and they got closer to each other and to the others they wanted to serve. That's why God made us for mission, because of the intimacy available with others. But he also made us for mission because that's how we find intimacy with him. My buddy Chris is, is a great woodworker. He loves to make furniture. So if I want to spend time with Chris, if I want to connect with Chris, I got to go to his wood shop in the back. My buddy Caleb is a philosopher, man. The man will read anything about everything and knows a little bit about everything. So if I want to spend time with Caleb, I got to go to his office at Lipscomb University, go with him to the library. My ministry partner back at Pepperdine loves all things coffee. So if I want to spend time with her or connect to her, I got to go down to Coffee Bean. It's not rocket science. If I want to be close to and spend time with someone, I got to be where they are. Well, God's on a mission. And if I want to see him, if I want to connect myself to him, if I want to be infused by him, then I got to be where he is. And he's out there. He's out there on a mission. God's not hiding. He tells us exactly where he will be. He will be on a rescue mission for his lost children. Matthew 18, what do you think? If a man owns 100 sheep, one of them wanders away. Isn't the guy going to leave the 99 and go look for the one that's wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one little sheep than the other 99 who didn't even wander off. And to continue with the sheep metaphor, John 10, I have other sheep that aren't in here right now, that aren't with us right now. I got to go get them. I got to go find them. Luke 19, 10, just in case we didn't get it, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Some of us are not experiencing God right now. We're not close to God right now because we're not where God is. We're not passionate about what God is passionate about. He's passionate about his mission. He's passionate about your calling. He's passionate about reaching the lost. Are you? So do you see why mission is important? Holy cow. I was made for mission, created to live out a calling. I've been made to become a disciple who makes other disciples. And when I do that, I find life, I find purpose, I find meaning, I find intimacy with others, I find God. Yeah, sign me up. And if this was the first sermon on the Great Commission you'd ever heard, maybe that would be how you were responding. But we've heard this sermon before. Go into all the world and tell people about Jesus. This isn't your first dance with the Great Commission. You've heard you were made for a mission. You've been called to go out and share the gospel with other people. And yet, even though 98% of us agree with everything I'm saying right now, that same 98% doesn't really know what to do tomorrow about it. I know that I fall in that same category. Please don't think that I'm preaching at you. I'm just talking with you. Most of us aren't sure where to even start when it comes to making disciples, when it comes to sharing the good news. Yeah, there's these perks and these benefits and these promises associated with our calling and when we live out our mission, but it's so hard to do, isn't it? So let me just end our time this morning by quickly sharing with you a few thoughts as to why I don't think we, we share our faith as much as we should, why we don't just jump at the opportunity to make disciples of other people. Now, making a disciple of somebody else includes so much, right? You need to pray for them, bless them, serve them, spend time with them, invest in their lives, but, but you got to talk to them. you got to talk to them about Jesus. I don't want to overcomplicate things here, but, but I honestly believe that all those passages said you got to be willing to share the good news. You've heard that famous quote before, uh, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. Love the idea. Words are necessary. You're like, yeah, preacher, job security, uh-huh. But words are necessary. 
And that's where I think our problems begin. We're not sure what words to use. We're not sure what words we should share. And we're not so sure that if we did start sharing them, they'd make a whole lot of sense. So instead of saying anything, we don't say anything. That makes sense? I think it starts with words. Our, our fear of not knowing the story, of not knowing the message, of not knowing really what the good news is or why it's so good. So let me see if I can't combat that just for a few minutes. The first thing I want to tell you about is January. We're going to start a series called The Story. And it's a comprehensive look at the biblical narrative, the key figures, the key truths, the key stories. And I can't wait for you to see how Adam connects to Abraham, connects to Abel, connects to Jesus, connects to you. I never knew that applied to me. I never knew the Old Testament was this beautiful, seamless story that all points to Christ, who now we are called to point to. I can't wait for you to see that. I want you to get more comfortable with the story. So we're going to share the story with each other. But in addition to knowing the whole story, and that has to wait till January, what are we gonna do right now? You don't have to say a lot to say a lot when it comes to sharing the gospel. In fact, you already have words. You've got some great words. Has anybody ever read the passage, John 3, 16? Anybody? Perfect, few, three of you, wonderful. (laughs) It's not overdone. It can never be overdone. God so loved the cosmos, everything in this world, including you, he sent his son. Whoever believes in him, trusts in him, gives their life to him, they'll never perish, they'll never die, they'll have life forever. See, Jesus didn't come to hurt you, to condemn you, to yell at you, he came to save you. If you know those words, you have all the words you need. This week, just share them with somebody. Sea of Galilee, don't just take those words in, put them out. If you're looking for a new verse to memorize, how about Titus 3? I love this passage. It wasn't so long ago. We ourselves were stupid and stubborn, dupes of sin, ordered every which way by our glands, going around with a chip on our shoulder, hating people, being hated back. But then God, our kind and loving Savior, he stepped in. He saved us from all that. It was all his doing. Passage goes on. We've been given a good bath. Jesus, we love you. If you have these words, you have enough words. Don't worry about what you're gonna say. This is what you need to say. You just gotta say it and just trust that the Spirit will do something with it. But more than maybe just biblical words to use, I would love for you to develop a little power-packed statement for what the Bible means to you, how you make sense of the biblical narrative. Here's some things that I typically say. Since God the Father loves me, Christ the Son died for me, and now the Spirit lives in me, there's redemption of my past, a purpose to my present, and a hope for my future. Who needs a Bible? There it is right there. Okay, sorry, that was blaspheming. We need the Bible. But you get what I'm saying? That's the entirety of the Bible, in my opinion. God, Christ, Spirit, past, present, future. You don't need to say a whole lot to say a whole lot. You can tell people, that's, that's pretty interesting stuff to tell somebody right there. Or you could say it this way, because of his great love for us, God the Father sent Christ to repair the three relationships that were destroyed at the beginning. We talked about this before. Through Christ, the relationship between us and creation has been fixed, between us and others, and us and God. And now the Spirit empowers me to partner with him to do that. There it is. That's the good news for me. See, this is good news. This, to me, is really, really good news. When you hear something wonderful about someone being pregnant or, or the, the, the Broncos winning a game or someone coming back from the injury list or, or a check you just got, an extra bonus, you are excited to share that with somebody. It's got to be good news to share it because if it's good news, you don't have to work at sharing it. You just share it. You just can't keep it in. That, to me, is good news. 
My past, which is pretty broken, I got some dumb, dumb things I've done in the past. My present, I'm not even sure why I'm here right now. And my future, where is this all going? Jesus gives me the answer to those three things. He says, Thomas, all those dumb things you did back in the day, yeah, I can fix that. And right now, I got something for you to do. And oh, just wait, it's going to get better. That's good news. Or those three relationships, the one between you and creation is about they're shoveling my driveway. I hate creation. I hate creation. I... <laughs> that relationship, this relationship, and then this relationship, it's been fixed through Jesus. And I can now help and partner with God to fix those relationships for others. Whoa, that is good news. And I want to share it with others. All right, real fast, before we end, I just want to also talk a little bit about these worst case scenarios. So we have words to share. It's not like we don't have good news. John 3, 16, Titus 3, past, present, future, three relationships fixed. We've got news, don't we, church? Good news. But Thomas, what if someone starts asking questions? What if I'm talking to somebody about Jesus and they ask me about dinosaurs? Dinosaurs, you're right. Don't tell them about Jesus because dinosaurs, I don't know. Or how about evolution? Or about the native in Africa who never hears about Jesus? How about other religions? How about how long it took God to make the earth? What if they start asking me questions and I don't know what to say? This is what you say. Get ready. I don't know. <laughs> Profound. I don't know. But I don't think you have to know. See, Jesus said, I want you to be my witnesses. And a witness does what? They simply attest to the things they have seen. They share what they have seen and personally experienced. So to be a good witness, I think all you gotta do is be able to answer these four questions. What was my life like before I met Jesus? How did I come to know I needed Jesus? What did it look like to give my life to Jesus? And now what difference does Jesus make in my life? Christian, if you can give an answer to these four questions, you are a witness. Can I get a witness? I've got a bunch of them right here, if you can answer those four questions. It doesn't take much more than that. I don't care if you can't answer all these different questions. I don't care if you can't give a deep theological explanation for everything that's out there. I just want you to be able to say a little something about Jesus. See, in the Gospel of John, we learn about a guy who was born blind. Jesus goes up and heals this guy, and after he heals him, all the religious leaders inundate him with all these questions. Tell us about this Jesus. How'd this happen? Where'd he come from? the guy's like, listen, people, I don't have any answers at all. I don't know who this guy was. I don't know where he came from. I can't give you a deep theological understanding for the hypostatic union of the messianic figure, blah, 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 blah. But this I do know. I was blind. Then I met this guy, Jesus, and now I can see. That's the only answer I've got. But Christian, that's the only answer you need. Share people what Jesus has done for you. So tabs on cans, holes on handles, made by someone to do something. The same is true for you. You were made for a mission. You were created to live out a calling. You are a disciple who's been called to make other disciples. And I think that begins when you share with others the good news, the gospel, the words of Christ. See, our mantra here at West Bowles is love God, love others. We're thinking of adding to that a little bit. Love God, love others, help others love God. That's why we're here. I want you to do me a, a real quick favor. I want you to just look around at the seats around you. There are empty seats in this auditorium. 
And to me, those seats represent someone in our life who we know who needs to hear the gospel message this week. Not because I just want this place filled, that'd be really fun, it'd be more exciting, but I also think that person represents, or that seat represents a person who needs some good news this week. Just look at those chairs. Do you love God enough to love somebody else so much so that you will tell them how they can come to love God? That's the question I want you to ask yourself this week. Will you share with them something, anything, a piece of good news in the hopes that they will love God themselves? Let me pray that over you and we'll go out and do it. God, thank you for this place, for this church. I thank you for the spirit in this place. I thank you for what you are doing in and through this place. God, I thank you for the new communities that are coming up, the new people that are coming. I thank you for those who have stayed the course in this church. God, I thank you for those who, the elders and the staff who have poured their lives into this church. God, we are here right now, positioned and ready to go. Would we hear this message this morning and and take it to heart, God. Finally do what you asked us to do and go. It's not about everybody coming to us. It's about us going out to everybody else. Would each of us this week see ourselves as a missionary, as a messenger of good news? Would we this week share a passage, a thought, a hope, a prayer, an invitation, something, God? Would we be your ambassadors, your spokespeople? Would we take the message of Jesus, the message of life now and forever, and would we share it with somebody else? We love you. We want to love others. Maybe the best way to do that is to tell others about you. Make it so. Empower us now to do great things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for being with us. Have an amazing week. We'll see you soon. Don't forget, give your dollar on the way out to bless a family in need.